Today's scripture reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. The word of the Lord. Thank you, John. Good morning again, everyone. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. And uh, this summer, it's actually been since the spring, we've been in a series on the Gospel of Matthew, and we're calling it Why Follow Jesus? Because in these chapters of Matthew, we're looking at chapters 8 through 12, the Gospel writer Matthew is telling us all about really two things. Who is Jesus, and what does it mean to follow Him? As we've seen, each story, each section answers that question, the why question. Why follow Jesus? And the why question, I know I've been saying this uh, week in and week out, the why question is one that followers of Jesus will find themselves asking often, and one that everyone who considers following Jesus, will need to have an answer to before they decide to believe and follow. Now, if if you spend time getting to know Jesus, learning about Him, I think two things will happen. You will be drawn to Him, but you'll also find that He says all kinds of things that we don't like, He makes us uncomfortable. He doesn't fit our expectations. Most of all, He's always asking for everything from us. He's saying things like, lose your life for me so you can find it. Take up your cross and follow me. So many times, to follow Jesus means He's saying, go this way, do this, believe this, When everything in us is saying, I want to go this way, I want to believe that and do that. So in those moments with Jesus, it's the why question, it's having an answer to the why question that will determine which direction we take. So the answer to the why question, the Gospel of Matthew has been answering that mainly by showing us Jesus in action. He's teaching, he's healing people, he's interacting with all kinds of people, he's addressing the religious leaders. And we could think of this, what Matthew's been doing in these chapters, is kind of giving us these close-ups, like a close-up picture. Jesus is healing people personally, 
meeting their needs. Jesus is teaching on specific topics like the Sabbath. We saw that last week. Or earlier on anger, lust, reconciliation. And we need the close-ups. It makes Jesus real. It makes Him personal. It makes His teaching specific to life. We need the close-ups, but sometimes we also need the big picture. Now, just to illustrate this point, I have a few pictures I want to share with you. Some close-ups, and I want to see if you can guess what the big picture is. All right, picture one. What is that? Oh, it's too easy, right? All right, big picture, let's get it. Were they right? It's a crayon. I should have asked for the color, right? The color of the Crayola. All right, next picture. This one's harder. What is this? A Cinnabon, no. Anyone else? A raisin? It looks like wood, right? But what's the full picture? It's an almond. All right, one more, and no one's going to get this, but I just had to put it in anyway. Here's the close-up picture. What is the full picture? Oh, we already got it. There it is, Zimbabwean currency. <laughs> Did anybody get it? Okay, that was not fair. The point is, why do I share that? If all we have is the close-up, we may be missing the big picture. Why is this important for this text? Look again at the text. If you have your Bible open to Matthew 12 or in the bulletin. Martin Luther said about this text, the great reformer Martin Luther said, this text gives us the whole Christ. It paints a picture of the whole Christ. What we have here in these few verses is the identity of Jesus, His baptism, His ministry. We see His death here, His victorious resurrection, and His final Victory. It's all here. This is the big picture. But why did Matthew give it to us here? Why did he decide, now I want to zoom out and I want to give everybody this picture of the whole Christ? That's a good question to ask any text that we're reading in the Bible. Why here? What's its purpose in the larger context? Well, look at verse 14. What does it say? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, went out and they plotted against him how they might kill him. Jesus was aware of this, and He withdrew. The crowds found Him. He kept healing them all. But then in verse 16, what does it say? Well, He warned them not to make Him known. So what's happening? The questions about Jesus, they're intensifying. The opposition is growing. This is actually a key moment in the story. A decision has been made now for the first time to kill Jesus. At the same time, all this is going on, the crowd continues to grow around him. Most of the crowd, though, is just spectating. They're not committing. They're just staying on the fringes. So people are not sure what's going on. We saw a few weeks ago, even John the Baptist was doubting and saying, I don't know if you're the one. I don't know if you are who you say you are. So from all perspectives, it seems like Jesus is not succeeding at this point. What He's doing is not working. With all this going on, what does Jesus do? 
verses 14 through 16. He withdraws, and he tells everyone to be silent. He's aware of all this going on, and he withdraws, and he tells everyone to be silent. That's the strategy, withdraw and silence. And this doesn't make sense to anyone. No one would have said at this point, if Jesus would have asked, Jesus, pull back, withdraw, go quiet, keep it low-key. No, the doubters, the opposition, the crowds were all saying, okay, if you are who you say you are, now is the time for more action to go big, to go public, to be bigger, louder, and bolder. And it seems like Jesus is being distant and unresponsive. So Matthew tells us right here at this point, remember the whole picture. Remember the big picture. This morning, I want to look at it like this. Matthew's answer is to this question. Let's put up the next slide. When God seems distant and unresponsive and we are losing hope, remember these three things. They give us the big picture. The mission of Jesus, the methods of Jesus, and the victory of Jesus. It's all here. And when you remember these three things, verse 21, you have reason to hope. Let's look at this. First, remember the mission of Jesus. When it seems like God is distant, He's unresponsive to us, Matthew is saying you'll be tempted to doubt. You'll be tempted to question God's plan and His ways. You might be even tempted to question God altogether. But when God seems to withdraw and go silent, you need to know this. He has not given up on His mission. And so Matthew refers to Isaiah 42. That's where this text comes from. And it makes the mission clear. What is the mission? God is speaking here in Isaiah. Matthew quotes it, and he says, Here is my servant. I have chosen him. I love him. I delight in him. My spirit is on him to carry out my mission. What is the mission? Look at the text. And I want you to write it down. Justice. The mission is justice. That's the mission of the servant, proclaiming justice, verse 18, and bringing justice to fruition to all the nations of the world. If this is what Jesus came to do and will do, this is great reason for us to hope. Now, what is justice? What does that mean? In the Old Testament, this is where the The reference comes from Isaiah in the Old Testament. The word for justice is the Hebrew word and concept mishpat, mishpat. It's more than just the judgment rendered of guilty or innocent. Mishpat, biblical justice means the setting of things right, setting things right. It means giving people what is due them. So if someone is guilty, if someone is in the wrong, There is a penalty and a consequence. But for the oppressed, the downtrodden, 
They get care, protection, dignity that they are due is made in God's image. So justice in the Bible has two sides, the righting of wrongs and the restoring of right. That's biblical justice. And what we need to see here is justice is not a sidebar to the mission of Jesus. It's not a supplemental thing. It is the mission. Justice, the setting right of all wrongs, is the mission of God in Jesus Christ. That means relationally with us and God, setting that right. That means relationally with one another as human beings, setting us right with each other. That means socially, economically, all of it. That's the mission. And that's why Matthew quotes it here. So that when we're tempted to see that God is distant and unresponsive, he says God has not given up on his mission. A few other passages from Scripture explain how important this mission is to God, how central it is. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. This is what the Lord says. Another prophet. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. And from this morning's call to worship, Psalm 99, verse 4, God, the mighty King, loves justice. He has established fairness. He has administered justice and righteousness in Jacob. And do you see the connection to Isaiah 42 and to Matthew 12? God loves justice. God delights in justice. So His Son loves and delights in justice too. This is why He loves and delights in His Son. They have the same mission. They have the same heart. They have the same commitment. In the Bible, at the very heart and core of who God is, is this. He cannot give up on His mission of justice. It's at His very heart. It's who He is. So in this passage, everyone around Jesus is saying, Jesus, look at how many things are wrong with the world. Look at how many things are wrong with Israel. They are harassed. They are helpless. They are weary and heavy laden. So many need healing. There are so many wrong ideas out there about God, about you, about the Messiah. There's this opposition to you. There's so many needs. There's so much brokenness. There's so much wrong. If you are the Messiah, what are you doing? Withdrawing and being silent. Matthew is saying, in the moment, it may seem that God is distant and silent, but you can be sure that he has not given up on his mission. He will make all things right. The old hymn says, Oh, let me ne'er forget, though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. To hold on to hope, we need to remember this. If we live life, if we live enough life, we will be wronged. I know I don't really need to prove that. Some of us will be wronged in ways that deeply wound us and that scar us. 
and that hurt. This is wrong, and we want justice. And unless our hearts are completely closed and calloused, all the wrong in the world, all the things that need to be set right will affect us at times. They will grieve us and at times overwhelm us, and we will say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is wrong, and we will want justice. In these places, in our lives, at these times, it can seem like God is distant and unresponsive. This passage is telling us to ask for, to long for, to seek justice, all things made right, all wrongs set right, is not a hopeless cause. It is the mission of Jesus. So don't lose hope. Keep asking. Keep longing and seeking. It's the mission of Jesus. But the reference to Isaiah 42 does more than just affirm Jesus' mission. The passage tells us we need to understand also Jesus' methods of bringing justice. Second point, how does Jesus accomplish His mission of justice, of righting wrong in the world? His methods, to say the least, are unorthodox and unexpected. What are they? Look at verses 19 and 20. He's not going to argue or shout. No one will hear His voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed, he will not put out a smoldering wick. Those are his methods. He's not loud or overbearing or seeking attention. Instead, Jesus' way is so quiet, it's so delicate and gentle. For us, we go, gentleness and justice. How do those things go together? It doesn't make sense. And this is where the passage is most puzzling and difficult for us, but also where it should be the most comforting and reassuring to us. Because if we don't understand the methods of Jesus, and hear this, if we don't understand the methods of Jesus, we will misunderstand His withdrawal and His quiet ways as indifference and abandonment, and we will miss out on the hope that is here for us. As we've seen in these chapters over the past few weeks, Matthew's been giving us these close-ups of Jesus, focusing in on His, showing us His methods. And what has Jesus been doing? He's been healing the broken people of Israel. He's been going to the outsiders and the outcasts, touching the untouchables. He's been calling fishermen, very ordinary people, to be His leaders. He's been eating with sinners and tax collectors. He's been casting out demons. He's been raising the dead. But all the time he's doing these things, he's telling people things like, don't tell anyone about this. Keep this between you and me. Verse 16, don't make me known. And people were thinking, John the Baptist included, all right, Jesus, this is good work. The close-up work, that is good. These people need your help. But when are we going to actually start making things right? When are we really going to start? When are we really going to bring justice and make a real difference and go big? And many were calling for Jesus to take the throne and be king. And Matthew quotes Isaiah 42 to say, no, no, everyone had it wrong. Right mission, 
wrong methods. The methods of Jesus. Quietness and gentleness. Let's take a look at these methods. Verse 19, it says he's not going to shout. He's not going to argue. No one's going to hear his voice in the streets. What does this say? Well, here's the point. Matthew's saying Jesus' quietness, don't misinterpret this. Jesus is not withdrawing from his mission to set things right, but Jesus does withdraw from using certain methods. Like arguing, shouting, publicity, celebrity, force, and power. In fact, these were the very temptations of Satan to Jesus in the wilderness. As one author said, to be spectacular, to be relevant, do what people want, to be powerful, take the path of power. But Jesus didn't come to bring justice top down with crushing force, but bottom up with service and humility. What does this mean? This means we don't look for evidence of Jesus at work in the news headlines of Fox News or CNN. We don't look for Jesus to bring justice by means of political force or power or celebrity. Friends, those are our methods, but they are not Jesus's. And can I say to my Christian friends, they cannot and should not be ours. If we look for Jesus in these places, we won't won't find him. He won't be there. But that doesn't mean he isn't at work, and that doesn't mean he doesn't care. When God seems distant and unresponsive, Matthew is saying, ask yourself this. Could it be? Maybe we are expecting him to use our methods and not his. When God is distant and unresponsive, when he seems that way to us, to the wrongs in our lives and the wrongs in the world, Matthew says, consider this. Maybe we are expecting him to use our methods and not his. I think an example of this may be helpful. I read a story this week that encouraged me. I thought this is Jesus' method. This is Jesus' method in action. It's from a book called Justice Calling. And uh, in the book, the author, Bethany Hong, shares uh, a note. This is a note that was written on August 5th, 2009. The note said this, written by a woman. If I think about the future, my future life, I imagine nothing but tears, bruises on my body, being beaten for no reason, just because he is in a bad mood. This is not life. If it is, it's only the life of a slave. Am I really such a bad person that I deserve this kind of life and treatment? I can no longer live being scared all the time. I am tired of being manipulated all the time and being physically and mentally hurt. My God, I need your justice. Why is all this happening to me? Am I so bad that I deserve it? I tolerate it as much as I can, but I am exhausted already. Help me, God. I need you. When the woman wrote this note, Bethany Hong tells a story. When she wrote this sentence, these sentences in this note, 
Someone whom she didn't know and whom didn't know her was already working on her case. He was targeting her traffickers, those who had enslaved her. And she ended up being set free. And she ended up taking that note and reading that note in court as evidence of the treatment she had received that led to justice for her abusers. The man who helped her said, God used all sorts of local cops and federal agents and prosecutors and many others who never met her and who never saw that prayer. But ultimately, it was God who answered the prayer. No one saw how God was working. It was so quiet in the small details. In the prayer of a poor, oppressed, and broken woman, written on a note, quiet and ineffective to us, unnoticed by anyone, unregarded by the world, what difference will it make? And move the God of heaven to justice. This is the method of Jesus. Quiet to us, not to him. In verse 20, verses 19 and 20, it is quiet, quiet method of Jesus and gentle. He will not break a bruised reed, it says, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. What is a bruised reed? It's like a big tall grass, very common in Israel and swamplands, tall grass um, used for baskets, used for instruments. The word bruised here, we need to know that this is not just a tiny bruise. This is a crushing wound, the kind that goes deep. Smoldering wick, what's the picture there? It's like a candle that's barely lit, you know, a candle that is very end of its wick, and there's just, there's not even a flame. There's just a tiny little smoldering brightness. A bruised reed would have been considered useless. A smoldering wick, it's over. It's done. Throw it out. Not to Jesus. The picture here is of people who are burning out, battered and wounded. Jesus' methods are so gentle, so tender, so careful, that in setting things right, in setting us right, He will never use any methods that break the bruised or extinguish the hope of the weary. You know the context for this in Isaiah 42? The context is uh, Israel is in exile. And why are they in exile? Because of their own fault. They, in their bruising, they, in their extinguishing wicks, it was all because of choices they'd made, false idols they worshiped in place of God. And yet, God says, that doesn't change my methods for you. I don't come down on you harsh to crush you. I move in gentle to heal you. There's so much here. It's one of my favorite verses. I think one of the most important verses in all the Bible for pastoral ministry in any spiritual leadership whatsoever. You know, think about this. Uh, Jesus, sometimes we would say Jesus isn't always uh, gentle and quiet, but, but what makes Jesus loud? The loudest. And what makes Jesus, you would say, the least gentle? 
Isn't it the religious and the legalistic who burden and harass and crush the hope of the broken? When it seems like God is distant and unresponsive and we are losing hope, could it be, Matthew says, that the methods that we would choose, Jesus, set this right, Jesus, set me right, that the methods that we would choose would only lead to more breaking, that the methods that we would use would snuff out what little hope there is. Might it be that God just sees how fragile and broken we are and things are and that we can trust Him in His ways. At at a personal level, how might this look? Sometimes we think this, I thought this in my life, Jesus, instantly make all things right with me in my life right now. There's so much wrong going on around me. There's so much wrong going in me. Why can't you just make it right now? But what this would require, if God were to answer that prayer, is for us, uh, for God, not only to make all our circumstances right, but also to show us all of our sin, all of our issues, all of our brokenness, everything that is wrong with us all at once, which would crush us, it would break us. When it seems like God is distant and unresponsive, could it be that what we think of as slowness and withdrawal and silence is God's gentle and caring and tender love for us? Might it be that God is setting things right in a way that doesn't break us or extinguish us? The old Puritan uh, Richard Sibbs, he wrote a book on this one verse, called The Bruised Reed. He said, the reason why the Bible is so honest and transparent about the bruises of all the great heroes in the Bible, like Elijah's depression and burnout, Moses' struggle with inadequacy, Abraham's insecurity, Jacob's scheming, Peter's denial, Paul's thorn in the flesh. The Bible's so honest about that. He says, why is that? Don't we need heroes to emulate? He says, no. The people of God cannot be without these examples. The heroic deeds of great saints do not comfort the church as much as their falls and their bruises do. Why? Because everyone falls. Everyone gets deeply bruised. Everyone burns low. It wasn't their strength. It wasn't their heroic faith and deeds that got them through. It was God's grace for the weak, His faithfulness for the faithless. It was His gentle, tender methods that shone the brightest in their lives. Our methods would be, we need heroic acts of faith. We need to get strong. We need to have action. But Jesus' method is a smoldering wick. That's all I need. That's it. The message of Christianity is this. Full justice will come. Full and complete justice will come. All wrongs will be made right. But through Jesus' method, gentle, tender, 
In Jesus' day, people longed for justice. The Pharisees said, bring justice down on the sinners, on the compromisers and all the spiritually weak. The oppressed said, bring justice down on the legalistic religious leaders who are harassing us and abusing us. Take them down. Everyone was saying, justice to the Romans. Bring justice on them, kick them out, and punish them for all that they've done. That's the Messiah we need. And do you know what Jesus said? You're all right. You are all right. But do you know what would happen if I did this? There would be no one left. The Bible says God cannot compromise His justice. Not one bit. He cannot excuse or wink at any wrongs or injustice done. He is a just, fully perfect, just God. But God also cannot compromise His gentleness, His tender love for the bruised and the weary. Not one person bruised, not one wick can He ignore. The only way that justice can come and the bruise not to be broken and crushed is if the full force of justice for all wrongs done doesn't fall on us, but falls on someone else. And that is the gospel. That is the mission of this servant. He will bring justice to victory by bearing all the penalty of injustice on himself. Jesus was broken. Jesus' life was extinguished by injustice. He received the justice for all the wrongs that we have done so that we and all creation might be made right as we hope in Him in His gentle, loving, and caring ways. The mission of Jesus the methods of Jesus, and finally, the victory of Jesus. When God seems distant and unresponsive and you are losing hope, remember three things. The mission, it's justice. He will set all things right. His heart will not give up on it. Remember, the methods of Jesus are not ours. And thirdly, remember the victory of Jesus, verses 20 and 21. Until He has led justice to victory, the nations will put their hope in His name. This third point, the victory, is a necessary part of this whole picture of Christ. We need to remember because the way that Jesus accomplishes His mission and the way that He does this with His methods means that our lives and in this world, there is and there will be still a lot that is wrong, a lot of injustice, a lot of bruising, a lot of burning out. We need to remember how it ends. We need to know that the victory is certain. Think of this illustration. It's not perfect, uh, but it's, it's one that I think of because it's, it describes my life. Uh, it's an illustration that I've experienced. So if you like sports, I don't know how many of you are sports fans, but I love sports. I have a great passion for the teams I follow. So there's a big difference when you're watching a game and you already know the outcome Versus you're watching it live. You don't know how it's going to end, right? There's a huge difference in watching your favorite team when that happens. So one, if you already know that your team won, and you watch them and they do stupid stuff and they make all these mistakes and something terrible happens, you're like, ah, 
That was bad. That was unfortunate. But that's okay. You know, we still won. But if you're watching it live in the moment and something happens and you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. Why do they do that? That was so stupid. And you start yelling and you start throwing stuff. Something that I can do at times. Because you don't know. You think it's all hanging in the balance at the moment that the victory is uncertain. But if you know the outcome, you can relax. Now, friends, I know this, uh, this illustration is imperfect because there's a big difference uh, between sports and the wrongs and an injustice in our lives and in the world. But the point carries. Nothing will or can stop Jesus from leading justice to victory. Matthew paraphrases Isaiah here. Isaiah said this, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. This is the whole picture we need, friends. If you are a Christian, as one pastor said, the very worst it can get for you in the long term is resurrection and eternal life in a new creation with all things made right. My friends, my friends who are bruised this morning, who feel like your wick is burning low, you need to hear this. He will bring justice. He will not falter. He will establish justice on earth. Some of the bruises and the wounds will carry until then. We will feel at times like all we are is a smoldering wick, but we can still have hope. Matthew says, look at the whole Christ. He's not giving us an idea. He's not giving us a concept. Matthew is not saying, here is something for you to do. He is saying, when God seems distant and unresponsive, here. You can hope in a person, the whole Christ, the one who came to set all things right, the one whose methods we don't understand but who we can trust, and the one who will lead justice to victory for us and for all things. Let's pray. Jesus, We, we confess. Sometimes it does seem like you have withdrawn from us, that you're way too quiet, way too far away from our bruises and from our burning out. And I pray right now that you would flood us with hope as we have heard your word and we have seen this picture of who you are. I pray that you would sustain us, that you would strengthen us for the future, for what we will face, and in this present moment, that as we see this picture, that you would bring healing to places where we are hopeless, that you would give strength to places where we are weary, that we might be given faith to follow you when all we can say is we believe, help our unbelief. We cannot see it. But Lord, we're clinging to you in hope.
fill us afresh with hope. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.